0: So I was wondering, have y'all heard the one um, about the, the four preachers? Right, so there, there were four preachers from the same town. And as they often did on a monthly basis, uh, they met and they talked. And on this particular night, the subject was their failings in, uh, in ministry or in life, their struggles, and each agreed that they had one. And the first preacher said that he had a bit of a drinking problem. He'd like to have a shot or two of whiskey now and then. The second pastor said that gambling was his problem. He couldn't resist betting on football games or other sporting events. The third minister said that he didn't have either of those problems, but he did cheat on his income taxes. And the fourth preacher said he didn't have an issue with drinking or an issue with gambling or income tax budging, but he did have one serious vice. And he said, you know, fellas, I just love to gossip. And right now I can hardly wait to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I I hope you like that one. Um, But I I hope that everyone is as well as they can be. And uh, as we live amid COVID-19, I continue hearing some experts report that uh, in America the worst is yet to come. Seems like every week they they keep saying the the, the worst is yet to come. The worst is yet to come. Uh, but you know things started getting bumpy toward the end of March, and in some reports are saying that April will be far worse, and that May even worse than that. And it's 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 just tough to know exactly what to expect or what to believe and. As my wife continues to go into work at the hospital and treat patients with the virus, I'm immensely proud of her, but also a little on edge about the possibility of the virus traveling home with her. Now, as a linguist, right, someone who's tuned into words, I've also noticed that uh, I'm hearing an uptick, even even in my own usage, in in words like uncharted, unprecedented, and historic. I've been saying it myself, and um, a phrase that I'm hearing a lot too is new normal. Earlier this week, I, I decided I wanted to Google this phrase new normal. And literally everything that popped up in the search engine in Google was related to COVID-19. Right at the top in the first position was a Forbes.com article titled The Impact of the Coronavirus on HR and the New Normal of Work. Right next to that, a Fox outlet uh, had the headline, Tampa's city government adapts to coronavirus new normal. Uh, The the news station WGN had the third spot at the top with COVID-19, seven tips on how to embrace the new normal of virtual connectivity. And so it got me wondering, when was this phrase new normal first used? What are its origins? I found the terms uh, new and normal used together in an 1836 mathematics publication, Uh, but it wasn't used there in the same way that it's being used right now. So the next candidate was an 1839 publication, which came pretty close to the sense in which it's being used today. And in this publication, interestingly, there was a reference to what was known as the new normal schools. these schools started nearly 200 years earlier in france and their goal was to take the norms or the normal behaviors and expectations of the time and to use those to shape the schools and this included common or normal knowledge about teaching learning and the various subjects of that era and so it seems that the phrase new normal has its roots in an educational movement concerned with how schools were adapting at certain points in history and in certain geographical locations. And of course, we're seeing that now too. For any educational institution intrepid about going online, it seems that their hand has now been forced. Now, there really isn't an option. The same for churches. Many people are embracing the technology available to us and using it for good, using it for things like communicating with family, doing school, working from home, etc. cetera. And so it's tough to say just how much this will be our new normal after COVID-19 is all said and done, but one can assume that it'll be rather common All this uh, virtual connectivity will be increased. And so the fact that we're doing church online, like this being church online, like this via streaming is new for our congregation. This is a new pattern of life that we're living into, uh that, that's that been woven into the fabric of our lives. And so as we approach our focal text for this morning, here's something that, that I want to suggest to you. In Revelation, there's also a pattern. It's a different sort of pattern, but it's one that 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 threatened to become the new normal for the earliest Christians, for the first Christians, and for some it likely did become the new normal. But uh, the faithful in Christ, the faithful bride of Christ, ultimately resisted. They resisted this new normal, this new cultural normal, new societal normal that confronted them. What I'm talking about is a pattern of behavior, or a behavioral pattern of what I call the imposter bride to the imposter bride's behavioral pattern. The imposter bride's pattern of behavior was to mimic or to imitate the true and faithful bride. And here's what we have to get a handle on. The imposter bride wasn't trying to present herself to God like the faithful bride is or was. The the, uh, imposter bride was repeatedly trying to present herself to unbelievers in hopes that they would come to her as well as faithful believers in an effort to lure them away from the other faithful. So to put it differently, this false bride, this imposter bride strives to pass herself off as faithful before others, but she's anything but faithful to God. Now, I'll explain that a bit more in a moment, but for now we're going to turn to our focal passage, which is Revelation 6, 1 to 8, and it says this, And I looked when the Lamb opened, one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures speaking as a sound of thunder, come. And I looked and behold, there was a white horse and one sitting upon it holding a bow. And a crown was given to him and he went out overcoming also in order that he might overcome. That's important that he might overcome. And when, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another red horse came out, and the one sitting upon it was given to him to take peace from the land also, in order that they might slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. And when the third seal was opened, I heard the third living creature saying, come. And I looked, and behold, there was a black horse, and the one sitting upon it was holding a scale in his hand. And I heard as a voice uh, in the middle of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarters of barley for a denarius. And you should not be unjust with olive oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And I looked and behold, a green horse and the one sitting upon it. Death was his name, and Hades followed with him. And he gave them authority. That is Hades. Hades gave them authority over the four lands to kill on the sword, and in the famine, and in death, and by the beasts of the land. All right. Let's zero in on a few things here. First, we have the famed four horsemen, right, present in these verses. That's uh, this right here is where that popular title comes from, and what we should notice straight away is that there are four of them. They're not three, they're not five, they're not six, but there's four of them. And if you're tuned in to Revelation, that's an important number. We've seen this uh, this important number, especially in the last few weeks, that's because the number four is also used for the four living creatures. And you'll recall that the four living creatures are gathered around God's throne in the throne room. And the four living creatures are said to be from the four quarters of the land of the earth. That is the whole land, the whole earth. And the four living creatures, they consist of those from every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. So in short, the four living creatures make up the multi-ethnic bride of Christ. And so it's no accident that soon after they appear on the scene, the four horsemen appear. These four horsemen are an alternative to the four living creatures, right? So these four horsemen represent the imposter bride, the false bride. So over here you have the faithful bride, and over here you have the imposter brides. The, the four horsemen are representing this imposter bride, this false bride, this mimicking bride that I was referring to earlier. Now, a lot of people get really get these verses wrong. Some, for instance, read verse 2 and think that it's a reference to Jesus because he's holding a bow and donning a crown. But it's not Jesus. Some Bible studies will say that, some study Bibles will say it. Some commentaries will say it's not Jesus. The first verse writer is not Jesus. It's an imposter. That's what it is. The the white horse rider uh, is mimicking, right? That's what he's doing. And he's going about that he might conquer, Jesus will conquer, this one might conquer, right? But he's gonna try to conquer and overcome people. Much like the reference to Balaam and Jezebel and Nicholas, uh, the leader of the Nicolaitans that we read so much about in Revelation two and three. So this white horse rider is violent. He wants to conquer. He goes about that he might conquer, and he's going to use violence to overcome. He's the antithesis of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so the second horseman was red, and he's not too different from the first horse. He also desires to engage in violence and to take peace from the land. He has a sword. He seeks to slay. And notice that whereas Jesus had a sword coming out of his mouth, Right? referring to the power of the spoken uh, gospel, the gospel's power to cause people to die to themselves and to live to Christ. Uh, this is different. This is an imitator. This is an imposter. The third horseman is black and he has a scale and he's going about the land being unfair and unjustly weighting the scales, ripping people off. The fourth is green and is associated with death. And famine. He's followed by Hades. Now, uh, three things that you need to notice. The first one is that the four horses and horsemen represent evil, pain, suffering, and violence. The second thing is that the horsemen that can't proceed, They can't do anything, unless one of the four living creatures, right, the faithful brother of Christ, says so. One of the living creatures will come forward and say, "Come," and then the horsemen and the horse. Comes out and acts, does whatever. This suggests that the four living creatures, the faithful bride, actually um, exercises authority over the false bride. And third, notice that in six eight, Hades uh, is following, and Hades is the one who appears to give the horsemen their authority, right? Authority over the lands to kill using a sword and famine. But here's what we need to know: Hades only has authority to kill those who belong to his number. Hades has absolutely no authority to touch anyone or anything else that belongs to God. And that will become a little bit clearer next week and in, in subsequent weeks too, as we read the remainder of Revelation 6 and move on into 7 and following. But what I love about these verses is that they paint for us a picture of what the unfaithful bride looks like. And once we know what the unfaithful bride, what she looks like, not only can we avoid her, we can do everything in our power to help others avoid her as well. And part of that is proclaiming the truth, proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come, that he died and uh, he reigns victorious and he wants to know you and he wants you. And by knowing what the unfaithful bride looks like, we can be exactly the opposite. We can be the faithful bride. It's like knowing our enemy's playbook. All right, another thing that's interesting here um, goes back to that authority point, namely that Hades and the horsemen can't even approach unless they're given permission by the faithful bride of Christ, that is the church. And honestly, you know, we, we can kind of read that repeated phrase, come, go, come, come, come. We can kind of read that as a taunt even. Like, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. You, you can't You can't do anything to me. You can't see me, you can't touch me, bring it on, that kind of statement. right? But because this is uh, so important and will continue to be as we read Revelation, I want to help you get a good handle on this imposter bride who imitates the faithful bride in order to lead people away from the faithful bride and ultimately away from God, right? And she wants to draw people to herself. And that brings us to our word of the week, which is, Crypsis. Crypsis, uh, it's an ancient Greek word, but it's a word from the animal world. Um, it comes from the Greek term crypto or crypsis, right? Which is where we get related terms like cryptic in English from. And as you know, something that's cryptic is something that's secret or hidden. That's what crypsis is. It's the act of hiding oneself to avoid attack or the act of hiding oneself to initiate an attack. I want to give give you what I think is just an incredible um, analogy for this, one that's related to fireflies, okay, fireflies. In particular, there's one species of firefly that engages in Crypsis. It hides itself in order to attack. And part of the way that it hides itself is by imitation or mimicry. So I want to explain this. Do your best to follow me here. All right, first, you need to be familiar with two different species of firefly. Unfortunately, their names are very similar, so you gotta pay close attention, it's easy to mix up. The first is known as the Photinus firefly, and the other is known as the Photurus firefly. Now, this Photurus firefly engages in crypsis. The Photurus firefly engages in crypsis, or what some researchers call aggressive mimicry. Now, here's how it works. The female Photinus firefly, she'll blink her blinkers, right, in order to get the attention of the male Photinus firefly, her same species. So the female Photinus shines and blinks in order to attract the male Photinus. And when the male finds her, they'll become mates. But the female Photurus firefly picked up on this pattern. And so the female Photurus aggressively mimics the female Photinus. Or sorry, the, 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 I messed this up here, let me start. And so the female Photinus, did I have it right? The female Photurus aggressively mimics the female Photinus. I'm confusing myself here. I had it right. So when the the male Photinus comes to the female Photurus, she kills him on the spot and eats him. She imitates the light She blink, blink, blinks, but is in reality darkness herself. And here's what I want you to know this morning, that it pleases God when his faithful and allegiant bride rejects falsehood and instead clings to him. And it pleases God when his faithful and allegiant bride imitates him rather than anyone or anything else. Friends, God is good. God is goodness, God is light, God is kindness, God is gentleness, God is love. And there are so many things in this world, so many members of the false bride that seek to lure us away and lure us into and unto something less in order to be someone less. The unfaithful bride has her roots deep down in anything that is dealing. She delights in pain, suffering, hurt, evil, murder, killing, war, abortion, depraved, non-life-giving sexuality, heartbreak, loneliness, sickness, oppression, anger, envy, and again, anything that is death dealing. And believe it or not, those things often lure believers away. They certainly have appealed to non-believers. So the question confronts us, what kind of ministry can we engage in as we're confronted with many of these things during this time and in human history? How can we be people at this time who speak life, who deal life, who preserve life, who give life, who draw people unto the bride and unto God? Now I was thinking this week about how the bridge, the bridge church can do this at this unique time in our new normal, Right? Um, as I was telling you earlier, my mother-in-law sewed and sent these masks to Christy, and it gave me the thought, well, what if we started a face mask um, ministry? Uh, that would be interesting. What if we did that for people in our community, for our local hospitals, or nurses or doctors, if they need them, or just anyone who's, who's needing them, anyone who's in need? And so um, I sat down, and I figured out the cost. It was about $60 to make 20 or 30 of these masks, and about two hours to make 30 of them. And so I'm asking this worry who wants to help get us going? Sarah Baumholz is leading uh, the charge on this, but who wants to join in this? I, I hope a bunch of you will-, will get in touch and say, I, I want to be part of this. This is something creative and nice that we can do in our community at this time. What other ideas do you have? Maybe, maybe better ideas. We might be largely confined to our homes and our houses, but we can still do ministry. All right, you're glad that I coughed on camera and away from you, right? But um, I guess I should have worn my mask to do that. But we need to get creative. How do we stand out and let our light shine brighter and truer? How do we link to draw people unto God? I want to hear from y'all. How do we, how do, we do this? What can we do? One thing I know is this. Whatever it is, it needs to look like Christ so that people are drawn to Him via his bride. There's a lot of imposter bride out there. It's everywhere. But screw the imposter bride. Let's do this and let's be the faithful bride of Christ. Let's do this. So, um, you know, I was was thinking this week about this interesting phenomenon about how how wives and husbands in time become like one another. Uh, Even down to looking more and more like one another. Scientists, they have a term for this. Uh, it's called uh, assortive mating, right? They, they posit that most people end up choosing in life those whose DNA is similar to their own. But it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's, it's that The people who get married early on end up looking more and more like one another as they age together. I just find it absolutely fascinating that that happens. But... Researchers have found too that as couples age together, they also become more emotionally alike. And they call this emotional contagion. The idea is that uh, people take on the same views and they take on the same interests, and therefore they share similar emotions about similar things. Likewise, there's research that suggests that in terms of behavior, as couples grow together, uh, they behave more and more like one another. This is called mirrored neuron activity. That's a real fancy word for it. Or more commonly, behavior mirroring or personality mirroring. And there's, there's more, linguists are researching how individuals over time, couples over time, start to imitate their mates' languages, language behaviors. Uh, they may over time share the same accent or even the vocabulary, and they start sounding like their spouse and scientists have found that in time uh, spouses often change their behavior patterns together Uh, this covers everything from dress to travel to diet to workout etc in short the longer a couples together the more they end up looking alike the more they end up feeling alike the more they end up behaving alike speaking alike and thinking and acting like their spouse and maybe you've anticipated where i'm headed with this the same should be true of the bride of christ her bridegroom. The longer that we're in this with Christ, the more that we should look like, and feel like, and behave like, and speak like, and think like, and act like Christ. We need to look like our bridegroom, our spouse, in all these ways and more. And I want to submit to you that as we live in these novel times, our new normal should be holiness holy living and holy moments so that our lives look like Christ's life. And it's so compelling that it draws people to us and ultimately to him rather than to the imposter bride and anything else that she has to offer. So how do we do that during this time? What can we do? In the past week, I've seen amazing things happen, things that reflect The beauty of the body of Christ. My pastor friend in Alabama, he turned 40 on Tuesday. And since his congregation couldn't throw a a party together for him, they decided to form a convoy of cars and drive through around the church and just wish him a happy birthday as he stood uh, out on the lawn with some honks and uh, some yells from a distance. That was awesome to see that video. I've heard some, some similar things going on here in the island. But I watched my daughter this past week write a letter to the mailman thanking him for helping his community during this time, putting himself at some risk. I watched all my kids throw a free car wash in our neighborhood for uh, for those folks. And you know, I pointed out to them that in each of those instances, the recipients of the kind acts always paid it forward. So I made the point that one good deed from them spurred others on to do good deeds too. And I, I watched as my little publishing company gave away worth of free resources in the last couple weeks. Uh, It was amazing to see that. Uh, I've received emails and notes uh, this week of people thanking and encouraging me from various parts of the world. Really cool to see that. So I've seen up close and personal some really cool things. So again, I'm asking this morning, what are we, the bridge, going to step up and do? What are we going to do? What are we going to join forces and do? And who's going to make a move and spur the rest of us and our community and others on to do good deeds, right? That, that lot doesn't fall to the pastor alone. We're a body, so let's all get in on this. This is a, a time of great opportunity. Right now, our world needs to see examples of peacemaking, examples of things that are life-giving. So let's be that. Let's do that in a time where people are dying in hospitals apart from their loved ones, saying goodbye through windows and saying goodbye on FaceTime, in a time where people are feeling hopeless. We at the bridge need to be the mouth, the hands, and the feet of Christ and the heart of Christ, and and we need to have the eyes of Christ. Where is the Spirit at work already so that we can join in? And what can we say and do that will bring hope into this new normal, this new pattern of living? I want to hear your hearts cry, and I want to hear what you're thinking of. So get in touch with me. Let's spur one another on to goodness, amen? Amen. Well, uh, this morning I want to give a benediction. So if you would, turn your palms upright and receive this benediction. And now, brothers and sisters, may you have the eyes of Christ in these novel times. May you have the gospel burnt on your lips. And may your hands and feet serve others in his name by the power of the Spirit. And may you help others come to know the best kind of new normal in becoming a new creation in Christ. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Amen.